Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, talking about inflation this morning with my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. A little plug for our podcast for people that missed part of today's show or any of our other shows and you want to check out our podcast, you can search McNamara on Money on your podcast app. I believe we're on iTunes and Spotify. All right. I think we're actually even on iHeartRadio. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but another think, podcast I just, I provider. <laughs> there are, I think there are a lot of places you can get podcasts. I think most yeah. people just know. I'm sure Google has one, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those are, I think, the, the bigger ones. But yeah, there's lots of them out there. Who knows? We could be on SoundCloud too, for all we know. We are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's where I originally host them, I think. Okay. Uh, anyway. All right. We're talking about inflation this morning. We'll finish that up. I did want to get into some market related stuff and talk about depressed markets and things related to that. It won't be all depressing, I promise. All right. So just to finish up, we were talking about some of the good news regarding inflation. Yep. Is that Social Security benefits for recipients are adjusting upward 8.7% effective January. Medicare premiums actually went down a few dollars, not related to inflation but I guess related to expenses and system going down. And then the IRS is adjusting tax brackets and retirement contributions. Yes, the tax brackets are related to directly related to inflation. Right. Yes. And uh, yeah, we I have some projections, right? People know the formulas that are used to to make the projections on what's the 401k contribution going to be for 2023. So I'm going to read some of those numbers just to be just to be abundantly clear. These are not official just yet, but I think they're probably going to be fairly accurate because they again, it's all public formulas. But yeah, we should go through some of that. I think let's do the taxes quickly. There's not. I don't think we, we need to spend a ton of time on the tax end of it. One, the big one is the standard deduction, right? Most people don't itemize deductions mm. anymore. The standard deduction for married filing jointly is going to be $27,700 in 2023, which is a, it's a pretty a big, big number. number. Yeah. That's up 1800 from prior year. Obviously, half of that is for single. It's $13,850, which is still a pretty decent size chunk of change. Tax rate. I don't know how much time we really want to spend on the tax rates. I think bottom Uh, line is that they adjust upward the the bands, the income bands where the tax brackets fall just means that like we talked right before the break about how many people's wages are up. Employers have been have been increasing wages. So some people might have higher incomes yep. next year than they did this year and the year before to avoid people just like getting cost of living type inflationary increases on their wages and avoid them hitting a higher tax bracket. Yep. And the IRS will adjust upward the age ban so you can make a little bit more money and still stay in the same tax bracket. So they like inflationary increases. So I don't think we need to go through the numbers, but yeah, I'll just got a few popular numbers. Okay. So the 12 12% tax bracket starts and a lot of folks are uh, the 12% bracket for married filing join is going to be start at 22,000 and end at $89,000 so it's obviously a lot of folks in will be in that 
particular tax bracket. And, and just to clarify, that's tax taxable income after deduction. Yep. And then the 24% tax bracket, right? So then you have 22 after that, then you have 24. So if you're up over that 12% bracket, so married filing jointly at 89,450, you don't jump into the 32% tax bracket until a hundred and let's see, and until three hundred and sixty-four thousand married filing joint. So the, the twenty-two and twenty-four for a, a lot of a, yeah, income. a, a yeah. big band yeah. there next. And then if you get over three sixty-four, then you're in the thirty-two, and the thirty-five starts at four sixty-two for married. What, filing and what's joint. the thirty-seven? We have a 37. I don't see it there. There isn't, there's not one here. Is there a 37? I thought there was a 37. No. Anyway, because remember it came down from 39.6 and the highest is now 37. Maybe it's over 600,000. Maybe. For a single. Anyway. It's um, here on the IRS website. Uh, you know what? It probably didn't change. Okay, that could that's be right. Probably, I probably didn't change. Yep. But anyway, so that's the good news. So people won't necessarily jump into a higher uh, tax bracket. And actually, I, even if someone goes into a higher tax bracket. First of all, it's a good thing because your income went up. But yep. second of all, it doesn't mean all your money is taxed at the higher tax bracket. It just means whatever dollars bump into that tax bracket are taxed at the higher bracket. But anyway, the good news is that brackets were adjusted upwards. So that helps from a tax perspective. If you have an FSA, um, a flexible spending account at work, that's up just that's up over three thousand dollars now, three thousand fifty. And yeah, there's some other ones here, but I'm not going to spend time. That's probably not. So I hope you can consult your advisor or the uh, or the internet on that one. Notably, 401k contributions are going up next year. They will. Oh yeah, quite a bit. Did you want to go yeah. through some of those numbers? Yeah, again, the, and these were the projections. These are not officially out yet, at least oh, okay. unless they come out in the next in the last very few days here. I didn't notice it, but these were projections that I was able to find. And again, this is based on, you know, just people who are using the formulas and looking at inflation and saying, all right, well, it's going to it's very likely oh. going to be this number. So that chart that I that, that's on our outline that you see, though, that's not official. Oh, so they're not final yet. OK, not final. But again, I think they're so we're speculating that 401k contributions are going up next year. And they, yeah, I mean, they, we know yeah. that they will because it's an inflation adjustment. And I need to, if you're going to be getting a number that's up near 10%, it's going to be hard for you to not adjust okay. the, the, uh, the $20,500 401k limit. And so these are, again, these are projections, the 2023 projection that, that these folks did probably again, more than likely about 22.5 for the 401k contribution limit. Okay. And probably also coming with an increase to the catch up, right? And that one's, they have it projected running up to 7,500. So for 401ks, there's a good chance that we'll be able, you'll be able to hit the $30,000 mark if you are over yeah. age 50. So 22.5 plus 7,500, which is a big number. Yeah. Um, and nice IRA contributions are currently 6,000. Again, projections, most people have them going up to 6,500. No change to the catch up again, more than likely. Uh, so you'll be at a, a total of 7,500 if you're over 50 on the IRA contributions. So okay. IRA Roth is probably going to be 7,500 total if you're over 50 and a 6,500 if you are under 50. Okay, cool. Simple IRA. I know a lot of, I don't think, no, not a lot of folks have the simple IRA, but probably going to 15,5 next year. From 13,5 right now. It's uh, a pretty big 14, job. Yeah, from 14,000 currently. So yeah, 14 to 15,5. And I think the catch up. So yeah, I think you'll be in like the 18,5 range or 1,900. They don't actually, they didn't list the catch up. Yeah, they just, uh, I noticed that on the chart. Okay. But yeah, and I get, you know, HSAs. You know, if you have a health savings account, probably going to be about seventy-seven fifty for a family, which is a decent sized number. Yeah. Anyway, and FSA your FSA contribution, as I mentioned, just over three grand 
per year. So again, that's what, again, one of the benefits yeah. to inflation, you get to save more, but Hey, it's <laughs> probably all comes out in the wash. Yeah. All right. Anything else on inflation before we move on to markets? I don't think I have anything else. That was everything on my list. Okay. All right. I thought it would be, this is related, I don't know, risk. The We're talking about risk today, right? Inflation risk, investment risk. I started thinking about markets and in markets like this, I do think it's nice to do timely market related shows. And I started thinking of de- what I would call depressed markets. And I don't, markets that have fluctuated down, technically we're still in a bear market and which is down 20% or more from its high. And I guess I just wanted to, I don't know, there's, my mind is going so fast. There's a million things we could talk about related to this, but I, how about we start with people that are like like retirees or people or pre-retirees. So people taking money out of a portfolio or thinking about taking money out of a portfolio. I wanted to talk about with withdrawal rates. I have such a hard time saying that word withdrawal. (laughs) Is it just me or is that a really hard hard word word to say? I do a lot of voice dictation of my, my meeting notes and I say that word a million times and it never gets it. It's always with Charles. (laughs) <laughs> so it is how my my speech rec- I have a trouble I have trouble with withdrawal strong withdrawal ancient I think I'm saying it right in there the ancient Suzanne anyway. always, Suzanne's always on top of me for the way I try to avoid saying anything but talking about really old stuff yeah anyway Anyway, withdrawals is something that I have a hard time not saying because it's just so prevalent in my work. We could call it, I could, I guess we could call it distribution rate. Okay. So I don't know where to start here, but I I guess I wanted to start with the 4% rule. Yep. Okay. And we've talked about that a lot on the show. It's talked about a lot in the industry. It's been talked about for years and years. This goes back to the 90s, the research. It's been, it's been, I don't know, combated or disputed or the validity of it has been in maybe always, but in recent years, I feel like I've read more about people trying to dispute the 4% rule and the validity or the applicability of it. It is very sticky. We would say that as planners, we sit down and we're, we plan dynamic income changes for clients right throughout their retirement lives, right? You retire and you haven't taken social security yet. So you withdraw rate is one thing. And then, you know, you have social security that kicks in, then you have RMDs and your tax rate changes. So we, we would, I think we, we don't really dispute, not the right word, but we would tell someone that it's not just as simple as, Hey, you can take 4% out. But even right. then we go ahead and we do radio shows on it and we call it the four rule. So it's very, it's been, yeah, it's, I, it's staying power. That's for sure. I think it's a good, I think it's a good guideline the way that we do income planning is very, yeah. or distribution planning and distribution rates is very, is very detailed as you're alluding to in terms of actual calculations in terms of what's sustainable based on someone's actual goals and what they want to use for life expectancy and all that stuff. Of course, we can tailor our advice, um, yeah. tailor our retirement model and and custom design. Is that the right word? Or customize <laughs> someone's what a comfortable distribution or withdrawal rate would be. But I do think the 4% rule is a good guideline. It's like a good gut check. It's a good quick, where are we here? It's like a good gauge. And so I guess I'll just explain it in my my layman's words and you can get more detailed and probably correct something that I said. <laughs> Thank God you're here. No. The, the, I, so I guess I would just start by explaining the 4% rule as in, in the early stages of someone's retirement. So I'm going to call it normal retirement would be like early to mid sixties. Yep. And if someone is <clears throat> planning to live to a normal life expectancy or planning for a 
roughly 25 year life of retirement life expectancy. So yep. a normal life expectancy and a normal retirement age. If we're planning for that, then the 4% rule has been used as a generally considered sustainable and comfortable rate of draw from yeah. your portfolio. Again, if we're talking about someone retiring like early to mid 60s and living like 20, 25-ish years in retirement, as someone gets comfortable and so 4% has been like a good gauge of, okay, like if you can roughly take start by taking 4% out of your portfolio, we know that over time inflation will catch up and over time you'll have to take more and more and that's okay because you'll be older and your life expectancy is shorter. So you can take a higher percentage as you get older and that's great. Yeah. And so that's the basis for it. Before I go on, what do you need to add to that? Yeah. I was yeah. thinking so when I think when Bill Bengen came up with this again, which I believe it was in the 90s, the rule was you would start with a 4% of your of your nest egg and then adjust for inflation from there, right? So in year which is why this dovetails well with our inflation discussion. You have a let's say your nest egg is $100,000, you take out $4,000 the first year and then you adjust for inflation. And in again, they called it the rule because that was the number where you, based on historical modeling, you didn't run out of money before you ran out of life, which is really what, what we're trying to do in retirement planning is make sure you have enough money to get you through till the end of your life. And I'm pretty sure actually this is a I'm so glad we're talking about this because this is such a great compliment to our prior discussion. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure the research was done using a 60, 40 portfolio, right? A 60 stock, 40 bond, moderate portfolio. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's since been updated for people will do it based on, I believe that's right, but people will now do it. The original one. You do a 40, 60, you do a 20, 80, you do. So there's, there's been many iterations of it now, but yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So, so what I was going to say is the research or gentleman, I never can remember his name, that came up with a 4% rule. Bill Bengen. Bill Bengen came up with it, assuming that someone was invested in a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio. We would call that the 60-40. It's called a, we would also call it moderate or balanced. It's like a pretty broadly used and like broadly appropriate investment strategy for retirees. I would say broadly appropriate doesn't necessarily mean it's appropriate for everyone, but this is just in general. It's that wouldn't be. So if this is interesting that we were talking about like holding excess amounts of cash earlier, right? If someone has, wasn't invested or planning to be invested throughout their life expectancy in retirement and had all their money was in cash in the bank, for example, or we could have the same discussion regarding someone who had all their money in stocks too. But if they had a a different investment strategy or no investment strategy, because all their money was in cash at the bank, then that's a, then a comfortable withdrawal rate is very different. If you're not assuming you're invested in something that has some stock exposure, like a moderate portfolio with half or roughly half stock right. exposure. Okay. So I think yes. that's yeah. important to to point out. And like you were saying, like it's I guess I'll I think it would be normal for someone to say, you and I know that for like when for someone that's invested in a moderate invest strategy, for they could probably on average, over a long period of time, 8, 10, 12 years or more, on average, they could out earn 4% in an investment strategy like that. Not guaranteed, but on average, we would assume that would be the case. So it might be normal for someone to say, we have conversations and we can't guarantee returns, of course, but we might say, 
okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I'm going to recommend this moderate risk strategy. It's 60% stock, 40% bonds. I think it's appropriate for you in retirement. My, my target rate of return, not guaranteed, but I think you could average about 6% per year. We would give a band like five to seven percent per year is technically like our band. Yep. When we do modeling, we you know, might use six percent in the software. So it might be normal for someone to if I can earn six percent per year, why can't I draw six percent per year and preserve my capital? And so that's a very normal way to think through it. And depending on their age, that might be perfectly fine. But if someone's 62 and retiring and we think they can earn six percent per year and we think they'll live to a normal life expectancy, I still think abiding by that 4% rule and starting with a lower rate of draw than what you can earn is prudent for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of inflation. Yeah. And we know that over time, that 4% in terms of actual dollars, the dollars that they're going to need over time will be greater, but also because of markets. Like, so you need to be able to factor in periods of time where your portfolio has fluctuated downward and sometimes quite a bit in a period of time where if someone started at a 4% rate of draw a year ago and their mark and their portfolio is down 20%, they're no longer at a 4% draw. Right. They're temporarily at a <laughs> yeah. higher draw, hopefully temporarily at a higher draw, but you need to factor in not only average and good markets, but the fact that you might go through periods of time where you're drawing out of a portfolio that's depressed in value. Yeah, the whole point. Yeah, and to be clear, the just to go back, I just looked it up here. Uh, it was a 50-50 portfolio, oh, okay. Okay. S&P and then intermediate term treasuries. So clean, okay. you know, the, the average, almost any average investor now is a bunch more diversified than that. So hopefully that helps. Although you never know if returns are lower going forward, that could certainly hurt it. But yeah, so it was based on a 50-50 portfolio. It has to be a balanced portfolio. Just otherwise, the math just obviously doesn't work in your head. A four, you know, 4%. If you take out 4% of your money every year out of a pot that's not growing, just say, let's just say you're yeah. in the bank, it's going to take 25 years and it'll be gone anyway. And, and that, then there's no room no for adjustment inflation. for right. inflation. So right. certainly based on a on an investment portfolio, a 60-40 is now more common than a 50-50. But so that's how we should think about it. Yeah. And so you're going to have to deal with volatility. And again, the whole rule was based on starting value of a portfolio, which we can, we can maybe talk more about later is, Hey, is it, am I starting lower now that I, uh, that I'm retiring in 2023 rather than 2021? Yeah. That's something that's obviously up for discussion and up for, in our case, modeling with clients, but yeah, you have to, you have to factor in that volatility because Hey, you're 4%. If, if in year one, you start at uh, you, you out of your million dollar portfolio, you pull 40 grand and in year two, you're going to look for $42,000, but all of a sudden the market is down and we have a lousy bond market like we just had. All of a sudden you have maybe $800,000. And so now all of a sudden your 4% distribution has gone up over 5%. Yeah. So it's, that's the kind of thing that you have to pay attention to. But yeah, that's it was based on a 50-50 with a beginning, a beginning distribution of 4%. Yeah. And I, have, I think the 4% rule is still a good gauge. I know there's been a lot of people trying to bash yeah. it lately, but I think it's still a good gauge. And But you and I know as someone gets older, if someone's retiring in their late 60s or 70 or their early 70s, right. you know, that then that 4%, 
it doesn't have to, I don't have to start at 4% anymore because their life expectancy is shorter unless they want to plan to age hundred or something like that, or 105, then, then maybe we're still starting at 4%, but depends on what they think is reasonable in terms of a time horizon in retirement. But if someone's retiring at 70 and they want to take 5% or maybe even five and a half percent or getting, getting into the 6% range in their seventies, I, I think that's fine as well, just because you're, you're planning on a lower, excuse me, a shorter life expectancy. Yeah. The um, original, yeah. right. I mean, it's, and just to be clear, that's, you, you can just, it's easy to do in your head where if you retire at age 90, clearly you're not going to be uh, looking at the 4% rule as any kind of useful guide, right? right, right. It was, I think it was a 35 year horizon. The original math okay, was 35, done okay. with a 50, 50 portfolio and none in none of the rolling time horizons that, that he looked at, did the money run out before 35 years, which that's a long retirement, but Hey, we certainly have folks that we talk to that retire in their early sixties. Yeah. And if you retire in your early sixties and live to your late nineties, that's going to be you. And so that's what it was based on. But yeah, it's, and, it's, and a, that's it's a, very good. I was just going to say that. And that's a pretty, his model is pretty conservative in that none of his projections failed. Right. Before 35 years are up in right. in any sort of modeling I would do for a client, I'm generally OK with a small percentage of the projections failing yeah. if there's some wiggle room and ability to reduce expenses, which actually is something that I wanted to talk about before the end of the show today in terms right. of what to do about what to do about this market if you're a retiree. Yeah, his Monte Carlos were all 100 percent. Yeah, a, a very, a very conservative model. And thank goodness for that, if we're generally using it as a rule of thumb for many people. Yeah. Okay. We're just taking a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. We're talking about inflation this morning, joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. Taking a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning again. Good morning. We're talking about inflation and markets this morning. Fun show. We're we started off by talking about inflation, the other risk. Nobody's sick of hearing about inflation. No, actually, I am. I'm getting sick of it. But it's a nice... Um, it's a nice change from hearing about COVID for two years. It's, it's nice to talk about something else, right? Yeah, I guess <laughs> How so. How sick are you of hearing about? Right, yeah. Uh, is, well, the, uh, the next crisis is always, uh, yeah. Yeah. Break from the last one, yeah. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> what will come next. Next will be the recession, probably. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I want to, let's finish up some of the inflation discussions we had. And then I wanted, before the show is over today, talk about, sure. like, where are we? What do you do? Especially if you're a retiree or a pre-retiree, how do you think about it? How do you, we don't just want to scare people here. We want to like actually give them some good things to think about and some advice. Yeah. All right. But think, you had some inflation data you wanted to go through. Or, yeah. And I think it, the, uh, it's built, it's, it, inflation, I feel like is useful for us because it's something that 
as a tool to talk to, to highlight stuff that we talk about anyway, right? We're always talking about inflation and the risk that it presents. And now all of a sudden it's become more real. But I do want to put some numbers on and use that kind of as a way to talk about how you should be invested even in retirement. As I'm sure our listeners probably know, we have very few retirees who go into retirement without investment portfolios that include some stock market exposure, which can be lousy in years like 2022, but helpful in, in I would say, most other years. So what I did want to go through was just to take a look at those, some real numbers yeah. of retirees. And we'll, we'll use, I guess we'll pretend someone has a $40 million nest egg in 1990. Would have been an awful lot, but we're yeah. going to use it anyway. So in if you retired in 1990... All right. And you were using your 4% Bill Bengen 4% rule over the course of the next 30. You want to use 30 years? Is that good? Yeah. 30 years is good. I was just going to say, this is going to look great, right? Because we were already talking about how the 90s, yeah. were a crazy good year in the markets. Yeah. This is just going to be the cost. This is just going to be the cost adjustment, purchasing oh, power inflation. adjustment. Oh, I thought you were going to do like a return, like a no. end of net worth, end of plan right. type thing. That would be cool because that would be a really good one. It would have been a good year to retire. Well, the, maybe, yeah. too, uh, maybe too good to use right now. And, and te- let's sort of tease because we're in yeah. the down market now. Okay, and actually, ahead, the, the inflation end of it also is also looks quite Good. So in 1990, right. if you were spending, if you were needing $40,000 per year from your portfolio, because that's what you're, you, know, yeah. you need to spend that 40 grand by the time you hit 2020. So 30 years later, the purchasing, you would need $79,207 in order to buy that $40,000 worth of goods. Okay. Right? So, so you're almost doubled, doubled. Okay. over 30 years, which again, that's, a, that's, I actually that's don't have the low rate if we use the rule of 72, right? It doubles in the rule of 72 is right. Didn't that yeah, mean yeah. inflation would so have to inflation average. was like a little over 2% per year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah, we're yeah. talking about, yeah. and again, because we've been talking about this whole time, we've been in this very low inflationary environment. And so what you have is a pretty, it seems like a lot, right? Where you're, let's just say, I know movie tickets have been going on, have been, it's a weird example, but your movie in 1990, it's only twice as much in the year 2020 based on this particular CPI adjustment, not real movie tickets, because that's probably different, but on average, uh, it just about doubled from 1990 to 2020. Oh, okay. um, th- there are other, and I, I think this is from a from a portfolio point of view. And just to go back to that four percent rule, all of a sudden, you're let's hope you uh, let's hope you are able to grow your grow your investment portfolio because seventy nine thousand dollars, even in a low inflationary environment, seventy nine is a lot more than forty. Your nest egg now yeah. needs to be larger, hopefully, in order to sustain withdrawals that are twice as large. And that's actually a good. I was just going to say that's going to think about, or even if you could maintain your capital. So we were talking maybe a 60, 40 could earn like 6% per year, which would be 60,000. So like thinking about what, at what point, so if you're starting at 4% or 40,000, then the first maybe 10 or 15 years you're out earning what's in your, what you're drawing. And so you're seeing capital appreciation. And then at what point does it pivot? Does it change? And you're starting to draw out more than what you can earn. And then you're starting to see capital 
de depletion. Yep. And that that so that totally depends on markets, right? If you have good markets for actually in your example there where you're starting in the 90s, which we had great returns in the 90s, you, we already talked about that. You I'm sure in that example you were seeing capital appreciation just taking out your 40,000. And so it would take a long time for right. you to start drawing down capital. Whereas if the first 10 years in your retirement, we didn't have good markets on average, if, if your capital held steady or even shrunk, you're going to very quickly start out earning what your port, start out drawing more than what your portfolio can earn. I'm getting all excited, like thinking about that and, <laughs> and imagining the graphs in my head, but that's because, uh, yeah, because you see them all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to see this graph. But it's interesting to think about like some point throughout a retirement life expectancy flipping and your most people anyway would draw more than they than their portfolio can earn. And that's OK if you're doing it when you're 75, 80, 85. That, that, that's perfectly fine because your life expectancy is likely short enough that you yeah. wouldn't outlive the money. But of course, then you then the follow-up is, do you want to preserve X dollars or your capital for the next generation, et cetera, et cetera, a different layer to the discussion. Right. Yeah. Most folks, the goal of most, I won't say most, but the goal of many retirees that we speak with is essentially how much can I spend and not worry about running out of money, right? Yeah. There, there are, I guess, almost all of our clients probably could would draw out so little from their portfolios that they mm -hmm. are not going to risk running out of money and they can get to a permanent stage of accumulation where they keep accumulating money until they die. But that's for most, for a lot of folks anyway, it's not the reason that they saved all that money for retirement. Not everyone's saving just so their kids can be rich. They want to, they want to. I don't know. A lot of people yeah. are very concerned about that. Yeah. That's not true. to be rich, yeah. not to be, not necessarily to be rich, but to be Right. financially okay. I guess you're right. Yeah, I, I yeah. shouldn't generalize. Yeah, there there yeah. are lots of folks who, who spend yeah. a bunch less than they can in order to benefit their kids. And yeah. then there are some other, there are obviously other people on the other side of the coin yeah. who say, hey, I'd like to, you know, this is my money. I earned it. And I'd like to make sure that I always have some. It yeah, would be nice to leave some to my kids, but I don't want to yeah. like live my own lifestyle for now. Yeah, so, of course. Let me just jump to, yep. I know I don't have a ton more time on this, but I do want to show some other time periods because they, it does get pretty yeah. drastically differently. You know, if we use 85 to 2015, yeah. Yeah. these numbers are just going to keep going up. $40,000 purchasing power from 1985, you need $88,000. Oh, wow. Uh, so okay, more than double. 120%. Okay. Uh, if I use 1980 to 2010. 92000 105,000. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, that crazy inflation in the 80s. Yeah. And it gets and it gets way worse when we get to the 70s. 1975, wow. listen to this, to 2005, 263%, so $145,000 you would need to have the same purchasing power of $40,000 1975 30 years later. Wow. And then I only that's... went back to 1970 because that's really when, you know, that's the the example of lousy inflation, inflation in our lifetimes. Well, I guess my lifetime, you're not, you weren't around in the seventies. That one was $177,000. So 300, almost 350%. Oh my goodness. It, by the way, you weren't really around in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You weren't doing a whole lot in the seventies. <laughs> I wasn't buying any gas. I guess you're right. I wasn't, yeah. But again, that's, uh, yeah. you need three and a half times as much money in if you had retired in 1970 to buy the same amount when let's say hypothetically died in the year 2000. I guess it's a long way of saying that it's been, we're not projecting that we're going to be at 8% inflation for the rest of our lives by any stretch. But I think, I think we're using this as an opportunity to say, hey, in, inflation is a real risk. 
And there are certainly time periods, right? You don't know what time period you're going to retire into, right? You don't know if you're going to get something similar to 1970 to 2000 or something more similar to 1990 to 2020. Uh, And so it's the kind of thing that you need to worry about regardless. Knock on wood, hopefully we have inflation under control for the rest of our lives. And that'd be fantastic probably from an investor's point of view. But the kind of thing, it's the kind of thing you just have to worry about because you don't always get the, the good numbers. Yeah. And it would be, I guess, a little easier to assume that inflation in the next 30 years would be a little higher in the next 10 years would be a little higher than the long term average or maybe five years. But I guess 30 years is a long time. Anything can happen. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you can. Yeah. Who knows? You can throw deflation in there as well. It's just the kind of thing that you are. I would say that I think we've been saying for the last bunch of years during all of our plans, essentially just by by putting in higher than average numbers, it's been our expectation that we would see higher inflation. Yeah. I think it's the last, the 2010s really, and the 2000s, maybe to 2010s were a historical outlier. It's generally speaking, been more in the 3% range than the 2% range. Yeah. So under that with, withdrawal rates and how they... Um, <laughs> nice job with that word. Is that a better? Did I do it better? Does it sound <laughs> yeah. weird when I say it? <laughs> it doesn't have. Never noticed. I'm really focusing on it. (laughs) I do really focus on it when I say it now because when I do voice dictation, I have to like really enunciate. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Side note, I do voice dictation on some of my letters and my coworker, Cheryl, she'll go through it and make sure it's, you know, there's no mistakes. (laughs) And she, there's some funny, there's some really funny things that come out there. (laughs) And sometimes she'll show them to me. She can usually figure it out and make the change. I've been doing some reading lately regarding... Financial professionals, me included, tend to think in when it comes to distribution or withdrawal rates, tend to think in percentages. Like we're talking about this all in percentages. Right. And I've been doing some reading lately, and I don't know if you've done the same, about how from an investor or client or perspective. Yep. That's not very helpful as compared to how much money can I spend in terms of dollar dollars, right? And so, of course, I can translate that 4% into dollars for them. But where I'm going with this is when we do modeling and we could eyeball what's a healthy percent in terms of what they can take from the portfolio, what do we think is sustainable? But what I've been reading about is what's very helpful for clients is like going into a retirement, knowing what's my range of affordable spending. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Have, so yes, and have, have you seen as this is like to, and it's so that people can go in and say, okay, we'll start somewhere in terms of here's where the markets are and here's your portfolio and here's what you need, but let's layer in some, you know, hopefully it travel and fun and hopefully retirees can have discretionary spending in their, in their life. Right. So that yep. they work their whole lives and they can enjoy retirement is what I mean by that. Hope by hopefully. And, but I, what I've been reading about is very helpful for them is for a financial professional to define, okay, this is great. We'll start here. I'm comfortable with this, but yeah. here's what you can expect as depending on what markets do, like this is a range of sustainable spending in today's dollars. Um, yeah. And so I've started to like think about that and adjust some of my conversations accordingly because that makes total sense. And the reason I'm talking about it now is because markets, well, for a couple of reasons, I guess, markets are depressed right now down fairly significantly in value. We've seen worse bear markets than this, but down quite a bit in value. It's uncomfortable. And as we alluded to a few moments ago, withdrawal rates are now higher inevitably, even though people haven't 
in necessarily increased what they're taking out, but their account balances are lower downward fluctuation. We don't know how temporary. I'm comfortable that they are temporary, but we don't know how long lasting this market will be is what I mean by that. Yep. So it begs the question, what to do about it? And there are some people that are in retirement taking money out that might have the ability, desire and or the ability to reduce what they take from the portfolio in favor of enhancing sustainability of their money or in favor of preserving capital for the next generation. or And if the discussion had been had, here's like your range of what we thought was affordable spending. And now that the markets are like this, let's go on the lower side of that range for now. That'll be more comfortable than where you're at, maybe where you're at currently. And that's something I'm going to try to focus on going forward in terms of ranges instead of dollar ranges instead of percentages, because that makes more sense to people and which makes perfect sense. But the point in saying that is this is a period of time where the way that we manage portfolios is that when we're sending money, for example, every month to a retiree to simulate paychecks, support their income needs. So we carry cash balances and and we haven't much had to go to the portfolio yet because we've had cash in the portfolios to support spending needs. But if this yeah. market goes on for a long time, cash balances will start running out if yep. they haven't already. And then that leads to, and then if we don't see the market turn very soon, it's going to lead to these discussions with people about, do you want to do something about it? Can you do something about it? Or if this is your withdrawal rate now, and maybe we have concerns about it, are you able to reduce spending temporarily until markets turn? And I just think that's a good conversation point with people right now. Some people have more wiggle room in what they're spending than others. Some people are comfortable taking the risk and thinks Mark not worried about sustainability and all that. Of course, every client situation is different. But I think those discussions are worth having. Then this is a bear markets just bring up. I was going to say opportunity, but that's not the right word. Bring up those opportunities for discussions. Opportunities anyway. for the discussion. I was going to, yeah, yeah. I, just to follow on that, I, part of this discussion comes from, and we were, I'm sure, guilty of this. We talk Monte Carlo all the time. And Monte Carlo is this success failure rate where you just keep yeah. spending the exact same amount of money every year adjusted for inflation until you fail, which yeah. is not really not the reality of of what most people would do in a real experience. People would have lousy markets if they happened to retire into markets that had lower returns, higher inflation. They probably wouldn't just continue to spend. Again, some people do because they have to and they just it is what it is and they have a higher risk of running out of money. But for folks who can't afford A, some adjustments in their portfolio and B, are actually paying attention to what's happening, reality is that the vast majority of folks would adjust their spending downward. And it's it's obviously a good thing to have that conversation in advance of, hey, here's your spending range. Or maybe we, I think we fairly often have the how much could you spend discussion. Yeah. Right? And that's something we've always done. Hey, everything looks great, but you're spending $80,000 a year right now. You probably could afford to spend a hundred if you wanted to. And that's information that we're sort of very commonly giving clients. But yeah, you, there's the other side of it too, is, hey, you may have to make a spending cut at some point. So here's the range that you'll need to be in. Is that okay as far as what you think is, yeah. uh, is a, an appropriate risk for you to take during a retirement time? time? And you could have a similar discussion in, in, in really good markets. Like actually the last couple yeah. of calendar years, I have had similar sort of the opposite <laughs> discussion <laughs> yeah. with some people where it was a period of time where markets were roaring, withdrawal rates were for some people maybe been lower than they had in the past because balances were higher. And then the discussion becomes, 
hey, markets have been great. Do you want to take some more money out? Can you spend it on something? Your withdrawal rate is low. We've got some profits in the portfolio. So you can have a discussion in good times. And then, and if people do that, like in good, in years when the markets are great and there's profits in the portfolio of 10, 15, 20%, whatever it was, the last few years have been a little bit crazy. And if you can take some of that out and enjoy it, and maybe it's not so painful the next year or two if you have to cut back a little bit and right and maybe don't book the trip this year because you booked a couple trips last year. But you know, yeah. maybe that maybe it all evens out. But I think what happens in, in good markets yeah. is sometimes they just people just think that's just gonna keep it's just gonna keep going. Yeah. And so it's I don't necessarily think people are thinking that, oh well, I might as well enjoy it now because it might not last. But yeah, yeah, so something else yeah. I just to before I forget it. Um it's not obvious, right, that let's just say your annual spending is $50,000. It's not obvious that your that everyone's range would then be, oh, you can probably spend between forty dollars and $60,000. It doesn't really work that way. And especially as an example, right, if you're a single person and you're, you have a healthy social security benefit and you don't spend a whole heck of a lot of money and social security pays for almost all of your living expenses, then your upside spending range may not be mm. that high, right? We may look yeah. at we may look yeah. at something that says, hey, everything's hunky-dory here because your social security benefits $40,000 a year and you only need 50, so you're, you, have, you need 10 grand per year out of your portfolio and that's easily sustainable. Whereas right. if you increase that by $20,000, now, all of a sudden, you're tri- doubling, I'm sorry, no, you're tripling the withdrawal rate on your portfolio if you go from 10 to 30, and that may be far from sustainable. Right. So it's not just as easy as, oh, I'll, I can go up or down by five or 10 grand a year or whatever the numbers are, because it really is very personal as, with regard to your particular circumstances. I was just thinking about the example of what I was just saying about how in really good years, did you want to take more money out because your withdrawal rate is low? And I can't think of a, a whole lot of people that were like, yeah, woohoo, let's, you know, we'll take an extra 20 or 30 grand. Most people are just kind of like, no, I'm good. My spending is fine. Yeah. But I guess in, in when that happens and they didn't take extra money out, less likely that I guess it depends on the dollars involved. Maybe it's slightly less likely that they would have to adjust downward this year because they didn't take extra out last year. Yeah. So anyway, just think it through that. I just, we've only got a few minutes left, but I just wanted to, one, one of the discussions that I'm having frequently with people is about, we opened the show by defining what's happening now in people's investment portfolios as a, a temporary loss or a downward fluctuation, right? Yeah. We don't call it a loss unless it's sold and made permanent and it's actually a loss, but it's a downward fluctuation. And if I'm sitting with, there's a couple different, I guess, a couple different angles that I'm coming at when I'm sitting with the older clients, retiree age type, age clients, and, and then younger 30, 40s, accumulator age yeah. type clients. So when you're sitting down with someone who's older, either in retirement, maybe in retirement, for example, and the downward fluctuation is more real or something, it's, it's scarier. Yeah. Because of lar- you know, largely these conversations about taking money out and relying on it. <laughs> yeah. And it's someone and- like us, if our advisor told us that our portfolio is way down, we would just say, well, you know, what? No. I'm generalizing. What are you but talking yeah. about? I got, uh, I'm dealing with my exactly. kids here for like, the next 15 years. Let's worry about, <laughs> yeah. let's worry about that. I have other that things. Point. And I guess I just, the most common, and I'm comforting and hand holding and things like that. And part of it is it's temporary and I am confident and I need you to have faith and be confident that markets will recover and businesses will continue to be profitable. Yeah. I'm a, it, it, I don't know how long it will, nobody knows how long it will take when we will see a recovery from this market, not guaranteed. 
nobody knows how long it will take. And the most common response is, I don't have a lot of time. I'm 75. And what if I don't have time to see it recover? Yeah. And or if you're 60 and you're retiring in five years, you hear that as well. Yeah. 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 And that's a tough conversation to have. But I guess if someone is if you're 75 and you are taking five or six percent of the value of your portfolio out and your advisor is, or me right now is saying something about maybe it'll take a few years, but I'm confident that we'll see a recovery from this market. And the 75 year old client is I don't have enough. time. What if I don't live that long? I don't have enough time for that. Yeah, that's a sad thing to think about. But in that example, it doesn't matter because you still have enough money for your life. Maybe and maybe you're not leaving your next generation, the next generation as much, but you can still afford, you still have enough money to live your life if your rate of withdrawal was reasonable coming into this and within appropriate ranges. Different answer if someone was 70 and taken out 10% and now they're down 20% and then that math gets a little scary. But if someone had an appropriate investment strategy and was withdrawing at an appropriate rate, should that then the fact that it should take some it might take some time to recover from this is can't use the word irrelevant but it's it shouldn't matter quite as much as people think it matters it's not as scary as people right. think it is it, people I think it. yeah on multiple fronts people will put art they look at things in an artificial way where whether it's people people always remember those as high as their investment value ever was, right? They start measuring from that as how a much a it should always be. Arb- That's how yes, much it should always be, right? Yeah. Obviously yeah. arbitrary if you think right. about it. And then we also have a tendency to put artificial time frames on things where, you know, hey, if I'm 75, it is hopefully you have a lot of years left in you. But if your $900,000 went down to went down to 800 and you then you passed away, it really, again, it really doesn't matter. But that's not how people would, right. would think about it. Right? You technically didn't get your money back. But then again, it didn't matter. Maybe if you had a spouse and that lives another 10 years, then there's a recovery time on that as well. So it's right. there's very, as we all know, there's very complex psychology around money. And it's just just the kind of thing where you have to try to explain with a with a good bedside manner that that it doesn't really matter yeah uh, at least to you but hey it's yeah it's difficult and then there's yeah and we've just got a few seconds here but and then and then for the younger people i i 30s and 40s i hope they're approaching this as it's okay we have plenty of time and again yeah. i can't say it doesn't matter what the value of your 401k is right now but 20 years from now, like if you're 40 or 45 and you're retiring 20 years from now and you look back at what was my balance in my 401k in 2022, right? it doesn't matter what it is today. What matters is what happens in the next 20 years and how much did I add to it? And was I invested appropriately in that time? And what did markets do in that time? It's right. So you can't say it doesn't matter to people. And I like, <laughs> yeah. I got to find a better expression for that. But hopefully the younger people can approach this bear market in something like that. Yeah. You just don't have the benefit of yeah. time to put it in hindsight. Right? Yeah. Did it matter what your yeah. balance was when I was in my twenties and in, in March of 2009? At this all point, right. looking back at it now, it most certainly didn't matter, but it may not have felt that way. In- all right. That's all for us today. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Check us out, McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com or McNamaraFinancial.com. Check out our podcast, search McNamara on money. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.